The men are still alive in the men's retreat. They have eaten so much food. Well, what was yesterday? Um, steak and salmon? They were both dry. Though, so. But man, it's good to be back. Uh, yes, yeah, so somebody just said online, they thought that we might not have church today because the men weren't men's retreat. I would never miss a Sunday. Can you please stand and sing?
You are alive. 
the, uh, the information that you've given to Ron that he might share with us and we might all get something out of it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. You know, Mitch was saying we go down to um, Hume, which is correct because it is south of here, but it's also, I was thinking of going up to it because you're up at 6,000 feet elevation, and you don't get any coverage. When you're coming down, you know, you don't hear anything. All of a sudden, your phone starts going beep, 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 beep. You know how that is? Like when you come down from Sonora. He's a a legal driver. I passed him. He's on the side of the road answering text messages. I'm driving out there like this. And he pulls over and he goes, are, are, are you okay? Is everything okay? I just thought, well, I mean, there's a good chance to get out of the car and stretch for a minute. So I just, I didn't have that man looking like, he comes over and thinks, he, he thought I was in trouble. So I thought, well, that's nice to know. Somebody cares about me. Um, but we had a great time and um, wish all you guys could have been there. Uh, and hopefully those that weren't will be there next time because it, it's really, a, it's just awesome to be together with all these guys together and hanging out and like all the things that Mitch said in his prayer, so really neat. And I'm glad that you're all here, though. I'm glad to have you all with us today. Um, I, I want to start by reading to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, it reads, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. I, I've, you know, I've spoken on this in the past. It goes on to give the different examples, and I've spoken on this. But I was recently sort of fixating on the word seasons. So I looked it up, my ESV study Bible, Max Roglin is the scholar who's done this research on this, and he basically tells us what seasons means, and it's not a big surprise to us. He says it's an appropriate occasion for every human event or activity, but that life is also endlessly complex, right? So we have different times. We have a season for retreat, maybe. We have a season for labor. We have these different seasons in life, but they all have different intricacies within them. And as we're passing into this new season of climate, things are changing out there, getting a little cooler. Have you noticed that? Getting a little darker earlier. And it got me thinking about this. And I thought, you know, oftentimes we talk about the seasons of life, don't we? And spring has come to be the time where we talk about new life, new birth, vitality, fruitfulness, innocence. Uh, Summer is the time for youthful fun, energy, mischief, adventure. Autumn or spring is the time of aging, a time of labor, a time to slow down and rest, time for the holidays, time for family. And finally, winter is the, the end of life. It can be a time of darkness, soreness, and fearfulness, but it's also a preparation for new life for those in Christ. It's a time for peace. It's a time for legacy. Um, and since we have the men's retreat this weekend, I thought we'd take a pause from the series that we're doing, which I'm really enjoying, and I know a number of you have expressed that you really like this topic, Um, we're we're talking through what we believe in, and we're going through our statement of faith and just explaining what it is that we at Mountain View believe in, which is what really all true believers should believe in. You know, throughout history, we're not saying a lot of different things. Some will emphasize some areas more than others, but for the most part, we're, we're saying the same thing if we're following what the Bible teaches. So next week, we're going to be talking on an interesting topic. The topic is Jesus. Boy, there's a lot to say there. It's very exciting. And if you want to read ahead, uh, you can do so. You can, you can look up our statement of faith because we're just going on the statement of faith. So you can go to um, our website, and then what you do is you just you know, click on a couple things. Click about us, and then click on statement of faith, and then read about what we are going to be talking about on Jesus. But today, we're going to be looking at the seasons of our life. So I want to jump into that with spring. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2 gives us the first example of a season along with the two bookends of life. It says there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Spring is the time of birth and new life, is it not? Think of the little animals, you know, the new babies in the, in the forest at that time of year running around, the blossoming of, of, the, uh, of the different bushes and different flowers. It's a time where the leaves come back on the trees and the bushes. Um, and around here, it's also a beautiful time for the almond blossoms, right? Man, it's a gorgeous time. It's a time for fruitfulness. It's often related to a time of innocence. It's a time for beginnings and new beginnings. Humanly speaking, probably what we'd call the time of childhood, right? Do you remember the innocence of your childhood? There is um, an old song called Old Days by Chicago. Um, and it, and it's, it's both sentimental and nostalgic, but the lyrics are, are kind of cool. They say that it's good times, days of simple pleasures. It says, drive-in movies, comic books and blue jeans, howdy Judy." Baseball cards and memories take me back to a world gone away. Memories seem like yesterday. You ever experienced that? I know life seems so much more simple and secure when I was a kid. Um, we, we went to the drive-ins. I mean, there are not even drive-ins around that much anymore. We had a drive-in just minutes from our home, and we would hang out there from the time I was a little kid watching Disney movies with my parents till I was an older kid. We'd go out, my friends worked there. We would hang out after they closed the place down and hang out down at the drive-ins. And people, some kids don't even, have never even gone to a drive-in movie anymore. Um, Howdy Doody was before my time, folks. So I want to be clear on that. But uh, Captain Kangaroo. He was the dude, Captain King. We watched the captain and Mr. Blue Je Green Jeans, and everybody watched it. You know, we all had that. It's just like there weren't a lot of options. That's what you watched. Um, every Little League game, when we ended Little League, I would buy a, a stick of taffy, and I'd get some baseball cards. And those baseball cards were important because before Internet, that's how you found out about your favorite players. My buddy Tim and I would spend hours looking at our baseball cards, going over them. We would memorize them. I remember one year I memorized all the home runs year by year by Harmon Killebrew, who was one of my favorite players at the time. And some of you don't even know who Harmon Killebrew is anymore. Come and talk to me after church, okay? That's an important <laughs> issue. Um, my, my uncle gave me his comic books from the classics from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That's how I got hooked. And then my cousin looked at the 60s, and then I started collecting in the 70s. And I would sit on my bed or lay on or sit on my, at my desk in my, in my room, read for hours. I would make believe I was the different characters and use the different voices. I had so much fun with that. And you know what? It, it, it made me a pretty penny, too, and I sold most of them. Uh, but they're gone now, right? You know, everything just disappeared. And I figured I might as well sell them before they all disintegrated, which was, was, was kind of happening at the time. But it's amazing how you know, those things just, they seem like yesterday, and yet they change. Life goes so fast, and some of those things I talked about aren't even here ago, here anymore. They're just gone. And time goes on, and things, that's what happens. One important lesson, I would say, even for you kids that are listening, is to hold on to today's memories. Because it's amazing, especially in the world we live in today, how things that you are enjoying right now will be gone in the next 10, 15 years. Especially those relationships with people. Those are so important. Treasure those relationships. Hang on to them. Um, don't worry so much about a future. Enjoy today. Jesus talks about that 
in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Remember, he says that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow for, because tomorrow is enough worries for itself. So take care of it. Enjoy today. Enjoy the moments. Enjoy the memories that you're making. But I, I started thinking more about this, and I thought, does the Bible say anything specifically about childhood? Well, it says a lot of different things, but one that popped into my mind was Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. I want to read that to you. It says, and they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I don't have time to dissect this passage like we normally would, but I want to just hit some high points that I think relate to childhood and to this whole era that we call spring, the season of spring. First is the culture of the day did not value children. Um, they were considered insignificant for the most part. What was valuable is that one day they'd grow up and be laborers and could help you in the world. But as children, they were just children. We say how horrible that is. We really value children in our culture. But you know, the question I have to you is do we? There's a tendency in all cultures to, to undervalue children. One of the ways we do that today is we flip the coin the other way and we say, um, I love my kids so much, I'll let them do whatever they want to do. They'll tell me where we're going to go to church. Or if They'll tell me where I'm going to, they're going to go to school. Or if we do. They'll tell me what we, they want to eat. You know, the problem is, is that in our efforts to do what our children want, we're not doing what's best for our children. We're the adults. We're the responsible ones. We need to make those decisions. We're not valuing our children when we do that. We're valuing ourselves. We're making life easy for us, often at their expense. Now we flip it again, and we have the parent who controls the kids. I see this a lot of times where you have parents that are kind of, this is what we do, which is, can be good, but they can almost brainwash their children. And they try to control them, and they get them into one area. Especially we see this a lot in sports, don't we? Just train the kid, and we just almost think I'm a robot, and you're valuable to me. My buddy, Tim, who I played baseball with, um, my old baseball buddy, he threw two no-hitters in, in Little League. He was phenomenal, and his dad was there for every game. But, you know, when his arm was destroyed and went out, guess who disappeared from his life? Because that was what mattered to him. So you can see how we can undervalue kids, too, and it's important that we value them. The other thing I, I, I like is that Jesus wanted the kids to come to him. And we should all desire children to come to Jesus. But we also have to be very careful at this age. Because have you noticed that most kids will do whatever the authority says? You can manipulate almost any kid into praying a prayer to give their life to Jesus. But is it sincere? Is it genuine? And that's where we have to be very careful. We need to tell our kids about Jesus. We need to read the Bible to them. We need to pray with them. We need to model Christianity. We need to bring them to church. We need to expose them to people who are walking with Jesus. And we need to pray a lot. But the final decision is between the kid and God. And each of you kids have to come to that point where you take responsibility. Are you really going to follow the God of your, of your mom and dad? My prayer is that you would. Jesus says something else that's very interesting for us as adults. He says that we must enter heaven, the kingdom of heaven, as children. What does that mean? 
really, within the context, the main point is that children were dependent on their parents, teachers, other adults. Um, they don't think about themselves. You know, they just do what they're told to do. Life is easier in some ways. And yet, isn't there always a desire, a dream, for the opportunity to contribute yourself? It's every, every kid wants to be an adult someday. Um, and I believe it's, it's true with us, too. I believe that there is an emptiness without Christ. We want to contribute, but you know what? We're really not contributing, not to the big scheme of things, if we're not on the team of the king of the universe. And without God, we'll have that emptiness that we had even when we were children because there's this vacuum that's left unfilled in our hearts. It's a good thing to want to go after God. And, and the other thing that I see that happens is, um, this is one of the things that I see that happens is, I think when God wants us to come as children, he wants us to come genuinely. He wants us to come surrendered. He wants us to come as the people he made us to be. Have you noticed that you have certain personalities that God gives you, and then as you grow older through life's experiences, through hardships, through circumstances, through people coming into your life, it kind of shapes your personality. That's not all bad. We need to grow up and we need to mature, but there are times when we actually lose the essence of who we are. So certainly... God wants us to develop our gifts. He wants us to maximize our gifts and minimize our weaknesses, right? He wants us to grow as individuals. But he wants us to be who we are. And there's a tendency, especially in our culture, with so much driven by you know, theater and movies and so forth, that, that we want to be somebody that he hasn't made us to be. And we need to be who we are. Do you know who you are? Who were you when you were first created? Who is the very essence of your personality? Are you trying to be somebody you're not? God just wants us to come as we are because he made us who we are and he loves us just for who we are. If you're in a relationship with God, you have one of the speakers was saying this week, it really stuck out to me, you have nothing to prove. Have you ever thought about that? You have nothing to prove to God. If you're in a relationship with him, there's no need to prove anything anymore. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You are safe and secure in that relationship. So don't try to be who you're not. Just be who you are. And that's how we grow in our relationship with God and really experience his kingdom um, in our lives. I like this too. Jesus took the children in his arms and he blessed them. I, I love this. There's a couple passages that tell the same story, but I love this story because it, it gives the picture of Jesus taking the children on his knee and hugging them. Isn't that a cool picture? You know, this rugged carpenter hugging his little children and showing appropriate affection. Every child needs uh, love and affection. So my first question is, have you transferred your dependence to your Heavenly Father? Do you admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross in your place and rose again? Have you chosen to surrender your life and follow Him? That's a starting point. And if you haven't, I encourage you to come and talk to us about it today. But then to continue to just carry on daily conversations with God. I know as a child, one of the things that really turned my life around was understanding that I had a friend who loved me more than any other and who would never leave me or forsake me. Isn't that a cool thought? I could talk to him anytime I wanted, all day long. That's a great thing to nurture as young kids. And then to be honest with who you are before God. Don't fake it to make it. Just be yourself. 
Summer comes. That's, I think, the most exciting and most painful time in our lives. Um, it is the time of high adrenaline and fun. The time for beaches and boardwalks or sweating uh, as we do labor, as we do sports. Often a time for romance, also a time of insecurity. And sometimes a time of extreme loneliness. We don't feel like we belong. It's a time when we need rest, but often don't take as much as we should. It's a season of regrets. It's a season of youth, of being a young person. Perhaps the most exciting and most fulfilled days of my life, I could tell you the best stories from that era, and yet I have no desire to return to the insecurity and the confusion and the insensitivity. The Bible addresses this season in a number of ways, and I, I want to just highlight a few. One is, are you in step with the Spirit of God? Remember not the sins of my youth, Psalm 25 says. It doesn't say remember not the sins of my old age. It, it highlights this for some reason. And I think it's because there's a tendency to sin more at this period of time, and there's a logical reason why. Because as you're growing up, now you're making decisions on your own. But you've got to learn how to do that. It's a process of learning. And so you're going to make your mistakes as you go, and just to be expected. And it's okay. But it's a process that we go through. Um, my greatest regrets are probably from my teenage years up through my early... This would probably take you all the way up to about 30. You know, your teenage years till you're about 30, till you're, you're getting older. And, and I look at those years, and that was, um, that was when I committed my life to fully follow Jesus Christ. That was when I fell in love and married uh, my beautiful wife. That was when... Um, Those are powerful years, and yet they were hard years, and they were rocky years, too, where there were, you know, I probably have most of my regrets from some of the things that I did during those years. Um, and I look back at that, and I remember we, our speaker now at the retreat, one of our speakers is a guy named Sean McDowell. And when I was in college, his dad, Josh McDowell, was a famous speaker, probably in his 30s. And I see Sean McDowell out there with his kid. It's like, talk about seasons. This is freaky. This guy's... You know, I, I used to listen to his dad. Um, but his dad used to say something interesting. He'd say, especially when you're in your youth, for most people, that's where you make your decisions about the three M's in your life. Your mission, your mate, and your master. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to follow the world? Most people make their decision there. Not everybody, but most people do. Who are you going to marry? Most people make their decision there. What are you going to do? Um, how are you going to use what God has given you for, for his glory? Um, and so those, it's really an, an, important, um, it's an important period of our life. Um, and, and so we have to make these decisions, and it's very critical, the decisions we make. And sometimes it seems like everything's happening, and we've got to do it now, now, now. We've got to make all those decisions today. Man, why am I not married? I'm 21. You know, why, you know, why don't I know what I'm going to do? I'm 25. Um, and when you get older, you realize, why did I get so upset about that? Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21, says something that I found is a good lesson for me growing up. It is good for a poor woman that he or she bear the yoke in their youth. It is good to have hard times when you're young. It is good not to be too successful when you're young. 
because then you have a tendency to depend on yourself more than God. So, so be grateful for those times because they'll build character in your life even though they don't seem to be at the time. Um, it's a great time as you prepare yourself for the future. There's one book in particular I'd recommend for you, and I wish I'd have read it when I was that age, and it's called Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 4 even tells us that they were given partly to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. Example, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit your work to Yahweh or, or God, and your plans will be established. Kind of takes the pressure off a bit, doesn't it? It's a good thing they're here now. I mean, we, people bang their heads against the wall, being like, I got to figure it out, I got to figure it out, I got to figure it out. Guess what? God hasn't figured it out. Listen to this passage that develops that thought more. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, he's got it figured out. What he wants you to do is walk with him. He wants you to talk to him through prayer. He wants you to listen to him as he speaks to you through the Bible, primarily. He wants you to build relationships with other people who he's working through, that he can develop relationships with you there. He wants you to minister to others, even those that don't know Christ. Um, and he wants you just to use the gifts and abilities you've given him, not worry about it so much, because he can get you where you need to be when he wants you to, if you're walking with him. And in fact, if you work extremely hard to figure it out out on your own, you're going to end up in the wrong places. So stop sweating it so much and just start spending time with him and enjoying him and looking to him for your guidance in your life. It's a season of restraint. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. That's true, of course, also with women. But there's, there's danger in that. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 6 says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This is a time where you really need to control yourself. Watch out for a couple areas. Watch out for the tongue. Dangerous area. Um, we tend to be most insensitive at that time in life. Somebody says something to us insensitive, we say it back. But you know what? There are people that nurture insensitive tongues their whole lives, right? There's people really good at saying the wrong things. And they do it on purpose. And by the time they're old, they're pretty vicious. So we don't want to be those people, do we? So it's a time to begin to change that early on. I wish I had memorized this verse when I was in my youth. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Now this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now notice, what's interesting here is uh, he doesn't say don't speak. You know, God wants us to speak and communicate with each other. But what's the operative word? Be what? He uses it twice, slow, slow to speak. Careful about what we say. Listen first. Ask questions. Learn how to do that when you're young, and it will help you tremendously as you grow older. This is the most dangerous part of the body. And if we get that under control, the byproduct is it will help us with our anger, too. It will help us tremendously. Just learning to slow down, because when you're young, you just want to go full speed. You want to, you want to go as fast as you can. Watch your relationships with the other sex. This is the time you're most viral, and you have most energy. So watch out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Pretty much says it. 
Um, never put yourself in a position where you will compromise yourself sexually in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. And may I add, and, and as strongly as I possibly can, that means not on the internet either. There were, I think, two or three presentations that related to people struggling with pornography during our presentation. Because I talked to this one man, he, he has a ministry to people that are struggling with pornography. And he says, during COVID, his church shrank by about 20% but his pornography ministry exploded. He said the struggles are so severe right now, and it's likely that there are men, and possibly women too now, that are struggling with that in our church, and we can't help you if you don't tell us. We're not gonna parade it or anything. We wanna start by just praying for you, um, but there are ways to, to begin to deal with that struggle in our lives. Watch out for purity, period. Um, Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So it takes us back again to the Bible, by reading your Bible, by committing yourself to follow God, um, by being in full surrender to him. Spiritually speaking, if, if spring is the time of salvation, when we come to know the Lord and we're our baby Christians, then summer is the time when we grow. And it's the time we make probably our most mistakes. Um, but it's a time when we need to make a determination whether we're going to keep on growing. If you fully commit your life to Christ during this time in your life, you start an upper trajectory that will change the rest of your walk with Christ. And so I really encourage you, I encourage you to do that. You know, you'll make your mistakes as you go at any age, um, but just simply tell them to God, thank him that he's already forgiven you, and move on. The fall. This is what I consider kind of the prime of our lives. Um, as summer passes into fall, we're bombarded with beautiful fall colors. The weather turns mild, and there's a calm that rests upon us. And at the same time, school reconvenes, and it's the time for harvest for the farmer. You can see it outside right now, all the shaking of the trees. It's a time for families, especially for the holiday season. And then what happens? The leaves begin to fall off the tree, and by the end of fall, we're past our prime. To me, it's a time of responsibility. That's probably the biggest thing. It's a time of being responsible parents, responsible spouses, uh, responsible to our jobs, responsible to the people around us. It's the biggest period of responsibility in our lives. Colossians 3, 18 through 24 summarizes it pretty well. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, your servant, Lord Christ. Marriage. Um, it's interesting, the most famous passage on marriage is Ephesians chapter 5. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 is the verse that comes right before he launches into the topic of marriage. And you know what he talks about? He talks about how everybody, man and women, should be mutually submissive to one another. And then later, Paul, same author, in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 says that we should consider others more significant than ourselves 
and be genuinely interested in their needs. So this, of course, is heightened when we come to the covenant of marriage. Um, but you know, when we when we see this, we see this interworking that takes place between a man and a woman. Um, the problem comes when we consider who's leading this thing. When you're dancing with somebody, have you ever noticed that somebody needs to lead? If you don't lead, you're going to be stepping all over each other's toes. So somebody has to lead. But how do you choose who it's going to be? You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to debate about it. You don't have to research it. The Bible says God, in his infinite wisdom, when he created human beings, he created roles for them. He created the man to be the leader in the relationship. Um, and that's just, you know, that's, that's what God desires. But what does that mean? That doesn't mean that he does it in a harsh way. It means that he does it in a understanding and sensitive way. It means, as Ephesians chapter 5 says, that he would be willing to give his life for her, even as Christ gave his life for the church. Man or woman, anybody wants somebody in leadership. Don't you... Don't you want somebody who leads you, who's willing to die for you, and considers you more important than themselves? That changes the whole equation, doesn't it? And so what happens in a relationship like that is you're collaborative. You work together as a team. But when those difficult decisions have to be made, the man is willing to stand, step up and make those decisions. Um, when you work that closely together, it's been said that what happens is the man is the head, but the woman's neck turns it. And that should be the intimacy that a couple has because you realize that if the Holy Spirit is working in each of your lives, God is working in each of your lives, then when you're talking to each other, you're actually learning from each other. God is actually speaking to you through, the, through your partner. So you work together as a team with the man being the primary leader. Family, um, parents are responsible for their children. As mature believers, we teach the children the way they should go so that they will, when they grow older, they'll continue to follow him according to Proverbs 22.6. Um, however, you don't do it in a loving way. You want to encourage your kids. You want your kids to develop the gifts and abilities that God has given them. You want to support them. And in the process, that means that there's going to be times where you have to be tough with them, um, and you have to discipline them. And you know the word for discipline really means to train them, to just help them develop, not into who you want them to be, but into who God has made them to be, to understand the gifts and abilities they have and help them go in that direction to serve him. Employment, in those days, most people were servants or slaves. I mean, so in principle, he's saying, you need to respect the people that God has put above you. Not merely as people pleasers. You know, you don't just let people do bad things. You don't, if somebody's doing something wrong, you don't go along with it. But for the most part, you're conscientious, you're honest, you listen, you're respectful, and you're the best employee you can possibly be. And the flip side of that is, is if you're a leader, you lead others the way you see the Lord leading you. And you're sensitive to their concerns, but you still do what is right. It finally ends up by saying that we need to have service to the Lord, service for the Lord. We should recognize that everything we do is done for who? Done for God, isn't it? It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what you, you know, school, whatever you're doing in life, you ultimately are doing it for God. Um, and if we're faithful in our obedience to him, eventually, you know, he says, we're going to get to heaven and we'll be rewarded. This is hard, though. It's hard waiting sometimes, isn't it? I think one of the hardships of this period is it's probably the longest period. It starts at about 30, probably, um, and, then, and then goes sometimes even to 70. There's kind of an overlap here. 
And as you go through this period, sometimes it seems like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it. There's so much responsibility. It seems like I'm never going to get to heaven and get to the end of this thing. In his song, Long Way Home, Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, I had no way of knowing how hard this journey could be. He even says later, he says, the mountains are, are the, the valleys are deeper and the mountains are steeper than I ever could have known. But I know we're going to make it. I know we're going to get there soon. I know it feels like we're going the wrong way. But it's just a long way home. Endurance. Endurance is what we're looking for in this game. Paul writes, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. It's put us to shame. For God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It can be hard, but we have the certain hope of heaven awaiting us. I say this because this is, is a season where most people lose their first love. They stop attending church or it becomes merely a social club for them. They lose the fire in their belly that they first experienced. You know, life can be tough. There, there's, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, it's through suffering that we grow the most in Christ. It strips us of our own efforts and it draws us closer to Him. As we endure... We will grow as people, uh, and it's just part of that process, and we'll be more certain of the fact that heaven's going to come. Each time we go through our trials, we grow closer to God, and we become more certain that he's going to take care of us. I want to say this. I don't enjoy suffering, um, but I've grown to respect it and endure it because I've seen what God does through it. That's when we grow the most. It may seem like a long time, but we'll get to heaven. We'll get to the end of this journey in God's perfect timing. God also ministers to us through other people during this time. And that's why it's good to have some close friends. Iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Who's sharpening you to help you as you draw nearer to the end of the journey? I want to look at winter now. Winter is a so-called golden. But is it really so golden? Not usually from our perspective it isn't. Um, but, you know, earlier we looked at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. It talks about the strength of the youth. But we did not look at the whole verse. The whole verse says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Now, I have more baldness than I have gray. But I think it means the same thing, right? Um, it's the same idea. Is it shows you you're getting older. And if you're getting older and you're hanging on to the Lord, then we should respect that. We should get excited about it. Um, I like this passage here in um, Timothy, 1 Timothy, he says, do not rebuke older, an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Sounds almost like a family, doesn't it? You know, if you're, you're in a relationship with Christ, those that are in a relationship with Christ are, should be closer to you and are actually closer to you than your own family that doesn't know Christ. But this is a, it's a difficult time. You know, it's the time when the leaves fall from the tree, and the land is cold and barren. But then what happens? Refreshing rains come. Maybe not in California. <laughs> and the green grass grows, and life gets ready to start anew. Right? 
It's a frightening time because our bodies and our minds literally begin to fall apart. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 describes the painful process. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 8 reminds us this, that the older you get, the more darkness you see. But I, I can say this along with the psalmist. I can talk about God's provision because I've lived long enough to see it. I have been young. Now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I have seen in my life that God takes care of his own. Now this is poetic. Okay? It's a poetic statement. So it needs to be understood that we've already established that you will have hardships and you learn the most through suffering. But I think what the psalmist is getting at is that God will provide for you. No matter what, he finds a way to provide for you and make good out of the bad. And he will get you to your destination of heaven as you hang on to him. I've seen him to always be faithful. And I've seen some pretty, pretty bad stuff there. Um, and one of the things I witnessed is that the people who go through the most suffering and hang on to Jesus, yeah, they're the ones that have the biggest impact, not the other way around. They're the ones that have impacted me. They're the ones that I see God holding on to them and caring for them, you know, as they age. And I marvel. I'm, my mother-in-law is here, and I'm just so grateful for her finishing her journey strong. So that means a lot to me. And, you know, it's just it's neat when you see people that are just hanging on to Jesus, even as they come, uh, you know, as their life is getting near the end. Um, and it's, it's just, uh, it's great. And I've seen it in my own life. I would say if there's a theme in my life, one of the themes in my life is uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Um, it's amazing how God has worked through the weakness in my life, more amazing than he's ever done anything through my strength. I heard a story lately I want to relate to you. I was, I was up in Placerville. I was speaking on the history of world missions for perspectives. I'm up there speaking, and I met this guy, and he told me his story. His wife was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was young. She had three sons. She told the doctor, God has impressed upon me that I am to live until I see all these boys raised. The youngest son was one year of age. She lived 17 years, saw him graduate from high school, and died two months later. He said they were rough years. He said she struggled mentally, and she struggled physically, and it was an embarrassment and a burden at times for he and his boys. But he says, all of my boys are walking with Jesus now. Now we think about, you want your kids to walk with Jesus, what you need to do is get these books that tell you all the things you're supposed to do, you know, all these lists, all these experts can tell you how you're supposed to raise your kids to grow and follow Jesus, right? He says, my boys say the reason they're following Jesus is because they saw their mom hold on to him as she suffered. They saw that the love was real. And she saw, they saw that her love for them was real. And it's for that reason that those three boys are hanging on to Jesus today. Perhaps the most powerful witness you have is to minister through those times of suffering. God has this way of turning it around and using it for good. That's what redemption is. As we get older, the closer we get to heaven, uh, the closer we get to seeing the Lord in person and being reunited with loved ones and seeing others 
you know that we wanted to see all our lives that we've dreamt about meeting. For those in Christ, it should be an exciting time. And if you, you haven't, I highly recommend that you read the book Heaven or one of the booklets on Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Uh, those would be really helpful for you. But, of course, death can come at any time on the journey. And it's for that reason that we must be prepared. Uh, Paul says this at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, Paul's just basically saying, are you hanging in there? Are you still running the race? Or have you gotten fat and lazy in your spiritual journey? Are you, are you still there? Are you participating? Are you finishing it up and you're still holding on? Are you being faithful to the things I've called you to do? That's what he's asking. And so the question we have before us is, are, are you ready to enter heaven? Have you remained in the fight? Are you staying steadfast to your faith in Christ? Will you cross the finish line strongly? Um, and I want to review one more thing real to make sure we're clear on this, on the spiritual end of it. There's, there's different complexities here, right? So some of you, I'm talking to you if you're a kid, talking to you if you're, you know, a young, younger person, if you're an older person, if you're a person, an, a much older person. You know I mean? We, we have all these different areas of life, and we're supposed to respect and be kind and interact with each other in different ways that we've talked about. But I want us to really grasp that there, this is actually a picture of our spiritual journey. You know, I've tried to weave that in there, and I want you to see this, that spring is when we receive Christ by faith, right? That's our salvation period. That's when we're baby Christians. And that can last for a while, but it shouldn't last very long. There are people that are baby Christians their whole Christian existence, which is pitiful. We need to grow up. Summer is when we get grounded in our faith. That's when we learn what we're all about. We make our mistakes. We get up and fall down, and we grow, and we mature in Christ. Fall is when we share our faith with others. We now should be leaders. We should be sharing our faith. We should be caring for us. This is the time we're most involved in ministry and in service. And winter is when we pass that legacy of faith on others. And we end it strong. In his poem, Life, George Herbert ponders the short lives of flowers. Everyone knows that flowers are so pretty, but they don't last very long. And he says, that's sort of like our lives. And he ends with these verses in his final stanza. He says, Farewell, dear flowers, sweetly your time ye spent, fits while ye lived for smell or ornament, and after death for cures. I follow straight without complaints or grief, since if my scent be good, I care not if it be as short as yours, if my life be as short as yours. See what he's saying is that as flowers' lives are brief, our lives are brief. As flowers bring lovely aromas and beautiful appearances, and even in those days they would preserve them for medicinal purposes, so our lives should bring sweet aromas. We should be examples of Jesus Christ for people to see, and we should leave behind legacies of inspiration. Rather our lives be short or long, what's really most important at the end is if we leave behind us the scent of heaven. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that we would leave the scent of heaven in each of our lives, that we would walk with you. We don't know today could be the end of our lives. We could be surprised and live much longer than we desire. 
But as we pass through these different seasons, Lord, may um, we, of course, surrender to you, but then grow in you as we continue to surrender and enjoy your presence and your love and your grace and just the excitement of knowing that we're going to get there one day and it's going to be a time of great celebration. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for having me. Please stand.
thanks for sharing Colossians 3.18. You know, wives, submit to your husbands. I want to tell you guys, as, as someone who gets married, a guy who gets married comes from somewhat confusing, tradi hardcore traditional background where that's like, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Wives, submit to your husbands in all the dumbest ways too, not just spiritual things, but to try and filter that out as a young husband who's trying to please God and love his wife as Christ loved the church, that's a terrifying verse. It's like, if I were to say, Hi, I need three volunteers, who's going to raise their hand? Right? Nobody wants to volunteer to be the one on the stage. Nobody wants to be the one in charge until they find out what's in it for me. You know, but, um, As a young man, that's a terrifying verse. It's like, i I got to be really careful what I do and how I lead. I think it's been abused. But I think the problems in this world today stem from that not happening. And men not being worth following. Huh, guys? And there's times that we're, man, don't submit to me right now. I'm having a really bad week. I'm off, man. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very important verse. We have a new song, Hymn of Heaven. Have you guys heard it on the radio yet? Good, because I'm still getting familiar with it. It's in a different key. So help me out. But the lyrics are just beautiful. How I long the air of heaven, pain is gone, and mercy fills the streets, to look upon the one who bled to save me, and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain 
that day we joined the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain
Let me answer the doctor's question. 